morning. Oh, how he loves us. What an amazing, amazing thought. And he loves us enough. He loves us so much that he gives us. First, he sends his son to die for us. He loves the world enough to send his son to die for the world. And then he loves us enough to to dwell with us, to give us his spirit. That's what we've been talking about over the past, this will be week five, fifth week in the series entitled Engaging Your World. This is the final message in that first section of that overall Engaging Your World series that's going to go on for who knows how long. But this is the final message in the part titled The Power to Engage Your World. Next week we'll move, and that, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that. But next week we'll move from maybe the theory, the Holy Spirit, the theory behind that in our, in our lives, what he does to give us the power to engage our world, to look at some actual examples, how the Holy Spirit actually is working in and through lives. We'll begin with the life of John the Baptist, how John the Baptist engaged his world in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's next week. But I thought I'd begin today, week five, covered this power to engage your world. thought I'd begin today with a little audience participation. We're a small group today. Apparently, people are getting ready for that football game. I don't even know. You know, as soon as, uh, as, soon as my team was not in the playoffs, I said, football is done to me. And so... Next year. I've said that for the past... Well, my team hasn't been in the Super Bowl in 19 years, so... Yay. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I would start with a little... You guys, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, rah-rah. You're going you're gonna to cheer and sit in front of... Well, some of you. Most of you, I don't know. Cheer and participate. And, and you know, even though Peyton Manning will not be able to hear you, you'll be saying, Go, Peyton! Cheering him and participating. So I thought I'd begin with a little audience participation, a little pop quiz. And so the first question, the series is entitled Engaging Your World. So the first question, and I invite your response, your brief response. What does it mean to engage your world? What does it mean in the context that we're talking, have been talking about? What are we talking about? Engaging your world. Any thoughts? Sharing your faith. I heard that. Taking the gospel to where it has not been. That's the ends of the earth. We're sent out. Other things. Getting out of your comfort zone. Engaging someone that, that you don't know. With And let me add to that, and I think Jeff would, with the purpose of what we've talked about, sharing the gospel, letting them know who Jesus is. I think, Patty, did you have your hand raised? Or? Let your will be done. That's a great verse. Bringing God's will to earth. Building God's kingdom here on earth. Beth? Looking for, taking advantage of opportunities in what we've talked about. I, I just want to say, those are great, thank you. As you know, as I shared a number of weeks ago, and many of you have been participating, we have a Facebook page called, uh, I forgot what it's titled, Bridges World Changer Moments. 
And the purpose is that as we have these examples, as we go out and engage our world, that we'll shoot a little post out in there and so we can all benefit from that. I just wanted to share some of those posts. I mean, just, they're long. I'm I'm just going to summarize a few. I think this is what it means to engage your world. Spending time with international students. Sending links of evangelistic sermons to friends and family who, who aren't saved. Helping a young couple who chose not to have an abortion. Visiting a friend in the hospital who needs to hear the gospel. Discussing your faith with family members. Waving to a neighbor for the first time. A little weak. That was mine. I posted that. But it's a beginning. It's a beginning. Sharing the the purple book. That's discipleship material with some international students and even a family member. These are just just some of the examples on our website. These are things that have just happened, happened, happened recently. Awesome examples of people stepping out of their comfort zone, being willing to engage their world. So I think, I hope we're getting an idea of what that means. It's certainly sharing the gospel, leading someone to Jesus Christ. That's the, maybe the ultimate goal, but it might begin with a, a wave to a neighbor. Second question. So we've, I think we've got this idea. Hopefully we're getting this idea of what it means to engage our world. Second question. Everybody together. Where does the power to the engage the world come from? The Holy Spirit. Good job. Third question. What must we do if we're going to be successful in engaging our world? We must be filled with the Spirit that gives us the power to engage the world. Fourth question, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? If you're filled with the Spirit, you are... Say the word. Empower, that's a good word. Submitting to the Spirit, you are controlled and led and guided, submitting, yielding to, surrendering to the Spirit of God. And yes, you you have to empty stuff. And we'll talk a little bit about that. You're going to be controlled by something. And we'll get to that today. It's either going to be yourself or the Spirit. Fifth, final question. It's a tough one because it's eight parts. When you're filled, when you're controlled by the Spirit, when you're emptied of self and filled with the Spirit, what does the Spirit do in our lives? And what, what is He doing in and through our lives? Eight things that we've covered so far. Just shout them out. He convicts. He what? Sanctifies. He guides. Teaches. Comforts. Intercedes transforms, he sins, he empowers to witness. I think we got them all. Good job, you guys are awesome. The Holy Spirit is working in and through us. He's doing these things and others too. These are just the the eight we've talked about. We have two more today. He's working in in us that he might work through us. So today we come to the two final things. And these are probably the most well-known As we talk about the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? What's His purpose? We think of these two things. We've covered eight so far, so today we begin with number nine. And that is the Spirit gives fruit. The Spirit gives fruit. Or you could say the Spirit 
produces fruit. He grows fruit. You might want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to, we're going to spend some time there this morning. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes, should be familiar with this, I hope, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's coming from the Spirit. It's qualities of the Spirit that He's working into our lives. Qualities of God that He's transforming, that He's changing us, that He's sanctifying with us, that He's leading us into Now, verse 22 begins with the word but. You see that but, the fruit of the Spirit. That means that that what Paul's going to write about, the fruit of the Spirit, is, is being contrasted with what he just said right before verse 22, with the verses before. In verse 16, going back to verse 16, Paul wrote, "But but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about what it means to walk by the Spirit, and we, we said it's the same as being filled with the Spirit, being led with the Spirit, being surrendering control of your life to the Spirit of God, doing what the Spirit wants you to do. So there's a contrast here. Walking by the Spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then in verses, after verse 16, verses 17 to 25 in Galatians, Paul contrasts walking, being controlled by the Spirit, with being controlled by the flesh. It's one or the other. Spirit or flesh. In verses 19 through 21, he tells us what it looks like to be controlled by the flesh. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Lots of stuff. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh, the works of the flesh, the sin nature, who we are without God, that's what it looks like. These are the things that our nature will naturally accomplish. These are the things that the flesh is seeking to do in our lives. And it's not a, not a pretty picture, is it? It's not good. These verses provide a, a picture of how the flesh would like us to be and how the flesh would like us to engage our world. To engage in immorality and idolatry and anger and envy and the list goes on. All of these sins, that's what they are, sins, that the flesh promotes, you notice that they are not, that they involve other people for the most part. They involve engaging the world in such a way as to bring it down, to cause the world, the people in the world to fall. The flesh isn't happy with the destruction of one individual. It seeks to destroy all that it comes into contact with. The flesh works in and through us to bring sin and corruption 
to our world, and we're working together in that. It's like a highly contagious disease moving from person to person, corrupting, defiling, destroying. Now realize this, again, you and I are never in a a neutral state. You're either being controlled by the flesh or by the spirit. And whether you're controlled by the flesh or by the spirit, you will engage your world. But the difference in these two engagements are, are night and day, light and darkness, heaven and hell, quite literally. The works of the flesh will destroy yourself, will destroy others, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The flesh destroys, but the Spirit brings wonderful, life-giving fruit. And that fruit not only impacts you, it impacts you positively, but it affects everyone around you. Can't help it. Each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit has clear application to engaging the world. When the Spirit grows His fruit in our lives, it will result in us loving people in greater and more sacrificial ways bringing joy into the lives of those who are experiencing difficult, troubling circumstances. Maybe that that comforting comes along with it. Result in us being a, a person of peace, seeking to forgive and reconcile relationships, showing patience to others in the face of suffering and fear, being kind to those who are in need, being good to those who've wronged you, being fa- a faithful friend, Always there, always bringing an encouraging word. Being gentle. Even when difficult words need to be spoken, even in times of confrontation, you can be gentle. And being self-controlled. When others are giving into the flesh and destroying themselves and others, you have the control, the self-control, the the God-given self-control empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you see, the flesh will impact the world Spirit will impact the world in different ways. We'll either be controlled by the Spirit or the flesh, engaging our world in the power of the Spirit or the power of the flesh. And we need to underline the fact that it's the power of the Spirit that brings the fruit of the Spirit, that causes the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are done by our own self-effort. They come from within, from our own corruption, from our fallen sin nature. We we carry the flesh with us. But the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Spirit of God. And therefore can only be seen, truly seen, in the lives... It can be counterfeited, but it can only be truly seen in the lives of those who've been given the Spirit of God. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, you have to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you working in you to produce this kind of fruit. Those who belong to God, those who through faith in Jesus Christ have been reconciled to God, those who are filled and led by the Spirit, we, on our own, have no ability to produce this fruit. That could be really frustrating. Trying to produce this love and joy and peace and patience, and it won't come if you don't have the Spirit. 
It's a product of the Spirit of God working in and through our lives. The Spirit produces the fruit. That word fruit is important. In the Greek, it means fruit. Stuff that grows on trees and vines and bushes and in the ground, however fruit grows. Paul didn't call it the work of the Spirit, although it is. He didn't call it a, a manifestation of the Spirit in your life, but it is. I believe he used the word fruit. He, he, in using the word fruit, he wants to get across the idea of growth. Of growth. And this is hopeful to us. This should bring hope to us. Listen to this. Because it's fruit, that means that the Spirit can grow His fruit in our lives. He can develop it. We can mature in the fruit of the Spirit. We can get better. We can grow. You can say, well, I'm just not. These fruits aren't that. I don't see them that much in my life. They can grow. They can grow. It's not the case that when we become Christians, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden this this light switch flicks and, and instantly you have the full capacity of the Spirit to love and to rejoice and to bring peace and be kind and good and faithful. We can grow like fruit. We can become more mature in these areas. And like all spiritual growth, the fruit of the Spirit grows by the power of the Spirit. But we have the opportunity to cultivate the soil that the Spirit works in. Okay? He causes the growth, but we have our part to cultivate that soil. We have the ability to make choices that will enable the Spirit to cause the fruit to grow in our lives. Paul says this very thing later in, the, in, in Galatians. If you're there, it's in chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, don't be deceived, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Here's a principle. Here's a principle. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Whatever you sow, whatever you plant, sowing is planting, that's what you're going to reap. That's what you're going to pick. That's what you're going to harvest. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. We saw that list of what that looks like. Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You got corruption, you got eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit, I mean the flesh, or sowing to the Spirit. The Spirit causes the growth, but we can choose either to sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit. So what, is it, what does that look like? Practically speaking, what does it mean to sow to the Spirit? Or what does it mean to sow to the flesh? Simply put, you know, sowing is that planting, that putting the, putting the seeds in. Spirit causes the growth. The Spirit brings the, the water. We're the, we're the sowers. We're planting the seeds. Sowing to the flesh means we're planting seeds. We're spending time and, and effort and fleshly pursuits. That's where we plant our seeds. That's what we're doing. Sowing to the Spirit means we're spending our time and efforts in spiritual, godly pursuits. It just makes sense, really. This isn't like uh, magic. It makes sense. If I want to grow in anything, if I want to grow in my life, if I want to be better at something in my life, for example, 
if I want to grow in my ability to play golf, which I could really use, then I need to sow to golf. I need to plant golf seeds in my life. I need to spend time doing golf stuff, watching golf on TV, taking golf lessons, talking to others who are better at me about how I can be better at golf, practicing driving and putting and chipping, playing golf, sowing, planting seeds in my life. Now, if I want to be, if I want the fruit of the Spirit to grow in my life, then I need to spend time planting spiritual seeds in my life, spending time in, in God's Word, spending time in His presence, in prayer, spending time with His people, joining a small group, attending church regularly, getting involved in ministry, serving others, sharing my faith, engaging the world with the gospel. That's what it means to sow to the Spirit. I'm planting seeds. I'm doing what the Spirit wants me to do. I'm cultivating my own life and my own soul. We can either sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit. It actually comes much more natural to sow to the flesh, doesn't it? You just go in default mode, you know? It's what we naturally do. We naturally want to pursue the things of the flesh. We have to engage. We have to ask. We have to sometimes call out to the Spirit of God to, God, change my desires, change my heart. I want to spend time in your Word and with your people Notice the results in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. The one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. His life and the lives of the people he influences or she influences will be corrupted, they'll be stained, they'll be tainted. Ultimately, if unchecked, will be destroyed. But in in contrast... The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And remember, we've talked about this. When does eternal life start? When you receive the Spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior and He seals you with that promised Holy Spirit, you begin your eternal life. When you sow to the Spirit, you're you're enabled... You enable the Spirit to grow His fruit in your life. His fruit will empower you to reap eternal life beginning now. That certainly refers to our own life, our own eternal life. But I think it goes beyond the lives, our own personal lives, to the lives of others. As we cultivate the soil of our lives with the things of the Spirit, He in turn grows His fruit within us. He transforms us into people who are full of love and joy, peace and pain. He makes us something totally different from the world around us. We stand out. We're kind and good. Faithful, gentle. We have self-control. Something that the world lacks in abundance. When we become those people... And again, not perfect people, but growing in those areas. If you begin to grow in those areas, you're going to be in contrast to the world around you. He grows us in those areas. He, he works through our fruit-filled lives to engage our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that then in turn 
brings eternal life to those around you. You reap eternal life as through you, the Holy Spirit leads people to Christ. So the Spirit gives fruit that we might engage our world. That's number nine. Finally, number ten. Final thing we'll look at in this series, the, the, the power to engage our world. The Spirit gives gifts. The Spirit gives gifts. The gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard of them. Now, this is a huge topic, right? It could, and and I thought about it, but I decided not to become a sermon series within a series. The gifts of the Spirit. There are a lot of questions to ask and answer about spiritual gifts. How do spiritual gifts relate to natural talents? How many spiritual gifts do we get, and, and are they permanent or temporary? Do they stay? Do they come? Do they go? Are all the spiritual gifts listed in Scripture, are they still applicable today? Do we still have apostles? Do we still have prophets? Does God still gift people to perform miracles? What about the gift of tongues? That's always fun to talk about. How do I know what my gifts are? All of these are are great questions, but I'm not answering them. For our purposes today, we're going to look specifically at the power to engage our world. Power that clearly comes from the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to limit our discussion to to three questions. Three questions that I think will help us see that the Spirit gives gifts, at least in part. I mean, God never does anything for one reason. That's my He's always working in us and through us. He gives us gifts, He comforts us, gives us fruit, and it's transforming to us, but it, he, he, he always wants to take it a step further, to move beyond. And so, He gives us gifts that we might engage our world. So, three questions this morning. First question is basic but essential for our understanding. What are spiritual gifts? Talking about these things that the Holy Spirit gives to, to believers... What are they? There are are basically four places in Scripture in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. They're listed in your notes. Romans chapter 12, 3 to 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, pretty much the whole chapter. Ephesians 4, 4 to 16. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And in, in these four places, there are five lists of spiritual gifts. Four places and five lists because 1 Corinthians has two separate lists. It has a list in the sort of middle and then the list at the end of the chapter. Now, if if we combine these lists, and I did, I went through and I looked at all of them, we find 20 spiritual gifts, 20 separate spiritual gifts. So if we ask the question, what are spiritual gifts? One answer is this list of spiritual gifts, right? Including, and I'm going to read them off to you, you can go to those passages and look them up yourself, but just so we get a, a, a sense of them in your mind. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, helps, administration, faith, 
healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostleship, evangelism, and pastor or shepherd. Pretty much the 20 gifts listed in those five lists broken down. Now, I want to point out that that in the five lists, some gifts are listed only once, others multiple times, and no single gift appears in every list, in all five lists. Therefore, it seems that, and it seems to me, and it seems to most Bible commentators, that these lists aren't exhaustive. You know what that means? They don't include, it's not, doesn't mean that there are only 20 gifts. My point is that when we talk about spiritual gifts, I wouldn't limit the Spirit's ability to give only these 20 listed gifts. To the question of how many gifts are there, John Stott wrote, at least 20 are specified in the New Testament, and the living God who loves variety and is generous, a generous giver may well bestow many, many more than that. For example, even though these aren't in any list, I think it's appropriate to say that a person has been gifted by the Spirit to to lead worship or to to write a a book or a a song or to write poetry. Right, Charlie? Amen? Or to be gifted to be a a missionary, gifted to cross cultural barriers, gifted to, to learn new languages. So I believe the Spirit can can gift us in many, many ways. But these 20 listed gifts give us a clear examples of what those gifts are, are going to look like. What these spiritual gifts are going to look like. We see that first, they, they are all spiritual abilities. Stuff we do. Things we do. Things that we're going to engage others with. And second... They're used for the good of others. There's an outward focus to them. I I, I suppose you could argue that wisdom or knowledge, faith, maybe even speaking tongues could be used for your own personal benefit. But I believe that's not their purpose. And we'll see that as as we look further at our third question, which is the purpose of the gifts. Right now I'm sort of establishing that they're for the good of others. So by examining, just examining the list, we see that spiritual gifts are special abilities given for the good of others. Now the most comprehensive uh, discussion of spiritual gifts in the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians 12. In this passage, we get some more insight into what spiritual gifts are. In verse 4 to 6, we read, Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. You notice uh, God likes varieties. So, so I don't think, again, he's going to limit to these 20. He's got varieties. As, as the world changes, as we need different stuff, God's there to, to give gifts. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. These verses talk about gifts and services and activities and varieties, all of which are empowered by God. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, Paul gives one of the lists of spiritual gifts. He he says there are varieties of stuff, and then he gives us some examples. Think about those 20 that we we listed. Then in verse 11, he writes, 
All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Spiritual gifts are given by God and empowered by the Spirit. They're special abilities given by God. And then the Spirit that dwells within them empowers them within us. The Spirit apportions or, or distributes, gives out as He wills. He gives out gifts, special abilities to be used for the good of others. The, the word gifts is the Greek word, and maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you heard it, charisma. Char- charisma. Very charismatic. His personality is full of gifts. But this word charisma means... Gifts as an expression of grace. It has the idea of gifting and the idea of grace. Or put simply, gifts of God's grace. So putting all this together, what we've seen in the list and what we know by the words and what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, I've come up with this definition. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the grace of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for the good of others. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the grace of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for the good of others. So that's the what. What are spiritual gifts? Now the who. Who receives spiritual gifts? Scripture clearly teaches that spiritual gifts are given to every believer. We already saw in 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, the varieties of gifts and activities and service but, in, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. The context here, 1 Corinthians 12, is a letter to the church. He gives them to everyone in the church, all believers. There are all kinds of spiritual gifts, and God empowers them all in everyone. Not just someone, not just the special ones, but everyone receives at least one spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.10, we, we read, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Notice the for the good of others there. As good stewards of God, varied, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each has received a gift. Each and every person Peter writes to in the church has received a gift. And the purpose is to serve one another. Finally, Romans twelve, four through six we read. For as in one body we have, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and in individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. If we are all members of the body of Christ, and we all have functions and roles and tasks to accomplish, then it follows we all have been gifted in one way or another by the Spirit of God. Each and every person in this room, each and every believer, each and every person that's given their life to Jesus Christ, who's been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, has been given a spiritual gift. You, by the grace of God, have been given some special ability. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit to use your gift for the good of others. So now we know what spiritual gifts are. They're special abilities given by the grace of God and powered by the Holy Spirit to be used for the good of others. And we know who gets them, who receives them, every believer in Jesus Christ. 
So you got these special abilities given by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, given to each and every one of us. For what purpose? What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? We already know that spiritual gifts are for the good of others. They're not for our own self-promotion. They're not for our own pride. They're not so people will look at us and say, hey, what a great, what great wisdom he has. What great knowledge. He is an awesome teacher. What a great evangelist. He is such a servant. Such a leader. What an amazing pastor he is. They're not for that. They're not for our own building up of ourselves. They're not for our own pride. They're for the good of others. Paul makes this clear. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, is, to each, again, each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. This is the context of the spiritual gifts. For the common good. For the common good. Spiritual gifts are, are given for the common good. Again, the context is the church. He makes this even clearer in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he, Jesus, the Spirit God gave. Now he's going to list off some gifts. And these gifts are, are not only gifts, but these particular ones are, are, are manifest in, in particular people. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And he gave these people, these spiritual gifts. Why? Continues to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's where we get our our mission statement. We want to be equipped to engage our world, to do the work of ministry. And why are the saints equipped for ministry? For the building up of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4. 11 and 12. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good, for the building up of the body of Christ. The purpose of spiritual gifts is for building up God's people, for building up God's church. Not just individuals, but corporately. Now, what does it mean to build up the body of Christ? In verse 13, following 12 there of Ephesians, Paul says that that we are built up until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's amazing. Building up the body of Christ has to do with unity of faith. It has to do with the the knowledge of the Son of God. It has to do with knowing and being in relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to do with maturity. It has to do with this fullness in Christ. Allowing Christ to fill you, to be You're all in all. God gives gifts to the church that we might be built up. And the church is built up by people becoming mature in their faith. So clearly, God is working in us as a church. Spiritual gifts are given that we might be built up as a church spiritually, that we might grow in depth and maturity on the inside. But as we grow, and as we become mature, then as we saw last week, what happens? We are then sent out. Spirit sends out. The Spirit empowers for witness. We're to build up the church. And I believe that 
that, in, that talks about that's, that's spiritually growing in, in our relationship with Christ, and it's numerically adding new people to the body of Christ that can then be grown up spiritually, all for the purpose of, of us doing what we're created to do, worshiping, glorifying God. The built-up church is to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gifts that we are given to, to build up one another spiritually are used by God to build up the church numerically, to add to the church for His glory. Certainly, that's true in the case of the evangelist. You know, his, his specific task is to go out, to evangelize, to share the gospel Engaging the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I believe many, if not most, of the other gifts can be used and should be used and are to be used to engage the world and build up the church. We can engage our world by, listen to these gifts, by helping, by serving, by giving, by showing mercy to people in need, engaging people in need with those gifts, exhorting people, another gift, exhorting people with the message that we've been given, be reconciled to God, teaching people the truth of the gospel, leading people to Jesus Christ. My wife has the definite gift of, uh, sometimes people go, what is my gift? I don't know. Well, you need to figure that out. That's another sermon. But my wife has the definite gift of hospitality. Very hospitable person. Our Thursday night Bible study knows that. Invite them over to dinner. She cares for them. And so she uses that in the church. But she also uses it outside the church, hosting others in, in our house. Next Thursday, we're, we're having a Japanese student going to stay with us for a month. And so my wife will have the opportunity to use her gift of hospitality to engage the world. God doesn't give us these things for one purpose, but for many. So we got that. We're given our gifts that we might engage the world. Now, now there's something that I've missed in this whole thing. Uh, that, that I've, I've saved for last. There's one final thing about spiritual gifts and really about the Spirit working in all of us. We have, we talked a lot about, uh, we've talked a lot about each of us individually, right? What the Spirit does in and through us as individuals. But we have to realize, and there are a number of places in Scripture that talks about there's one Spirit. So it's the same Spirit who's working in each of us individually, and he's working in us individually that we might have some unity. We're designed to work together. The Spirit works in us that he might work through us corporately. Take some time to look in Romans chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. These are, these are key passages in understanding spiritual gifts. And at the heart of these teachings on spiritual gifts is also the teaching of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if you read on, which we don't have time to this morning, Paul then talks about the fact that the body needs all its parts. He talks about its feet and its ears and its eyes. He analogizes the church with the actual physical body. And no part can say it doesn't need the other parts. They all work together. My poor uh, dog, his name's Piper. 
he had to have hip surgery. And so he hasn't been able to use one of his legs, so he's walking around. I mean, if you're a dog, that's cool because, you know, if you're a human and lose one leg, you lose half. If you're a dog, you only lose one-fourth. Good math there. But he just cannot do the same things. He's not capable anymore. I'm trying to get him to exercise this leg, but he just walks around with the one leg. Try to get him to jump up on. I don't let him jump on me, but I want him to jump on me so he can exercise this leg. He's not using one of his parts. And he can't do what he's supposed to do. Run around and be a dog and jump up on me. The same way. Well, I don't know if it's the same way, but sort of the same way. The church needs all its members. Every part needs all its gifts, every gift. I mean, I think that's the problem. I think, to be honest, why the church isn't having as much impact in the world as it should is because a lot of the people in the church have decided not to use the gifts they've been given. And then that means the people that are are willing, the people that will say, I'll do whatever, God, you know, he gifts them too, but, but really, we need to all be using the gifts We've been given. No member can say that we don't need each other. The body, the church, needs every person to use their spiritual gifts to build up the body and to engage the world. Paul makes it clear to the church in Corinth and the church here in Riverside, Bridges Christian Fellowship, we are in this together. God has not only called us individually to engage the world, to be witnesses, to make disciples, but he's called us to engage our world as a church. And this should provide some comfort, doesn't it? You're not on your own. You have a team. That could be the whole church at times. It could be the, your small groups. It could just be a friend. You, I mean, Jesus always sent people out in, in twos. We need to work together. We need to pray together. We need to plan together. We need to rely on one another's spiritual gifts. Where we're lacking, someone else may be gifted. That will involve what we hate to do. Asking people for help as we seek to serve your neighborhood. The other night, my garbage disposal crashed out and my dishwasher was flooding. And uh, fortunately, I had Jeff Hamlin and Jeff Haynes. I guess if your name is Jeff, you can do stuff. They were there at my house and they used their gifts. And together, we got this thing working again. Didn't have to call a plumber. Didn't cost me 400 bucks. Great. God uses us all together. We all did different stuff. So, that may involve asking people for help as you seek to engage your world, as you seek to serve your neighborhood. It might mean inviting someone who's gifted in evangelism to coffee with a friend that you want to share with. Not that they take over, but they can help and guide you. It might be just inviting someone to church so that they can be welcomed in to the body, that they can experience other people's gifts. They can experience encouragement or exhortation from someone else. God has gifted every one of us. And our individual gifts can and do have impact in our world. But when our gifts come together, I believe that's when God will do amazing things. When when, When we're all willing to sow to the Spirit. When we're all willing to have our gifts unleashed. I just want to close this message today by showing a a little video. Tom Allen recently showed this to the elders, and I wasn't familiar with this thing called uh, uh, Flash Mob. Maybe 
Maybe, maybe some of you are like me and don't know what I'm talking about. You're about to see. I want this to encourage us as we think about engaging our world together. In this video, you'll see an illustration of what can happen when gifted people come together and use their gifts. It's about five minutes long, so I hope you enjoy it. Once the video's finished, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off here. I mean, I'm not leaving, but I'm going to sit down, watch the video with you, and, and Chuck's going to come up and, and lead us in communion. And enjoy it and let it be a reminder through this week. Let it be a reminder that you've been gifted, that the fruit is developing in your life. You've been gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that you're to use your gifts to engage the world. And that, and that as we use our gifts together, God can do amazing, wonderful things. So just let this be a, a reminder of that this week.